I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Brandy. She had a Ewing sarcoma. Let's talk about it. Uh, Brandy, where are you? Where are you calling us from? Uh, Miami, Florida, or the, near Miami. It's called Miramar. It's about twenty-five minutes from oh, Miami. Oh, by the outlets. Yeah, the Miramar outlets. Oh, okay. Guys. Oh, yeah. You're a Florida. You you know Man, you know Florida. I go to Florida. Well, I used to go to Florida every year um, in the winter for. I, I grew up racing sprint canoeing. So oh, wow. We brought our team down from here because the lakes are all frozen here so we can't train oh my so gosh. we come down to florida like every every winter for anywhere from like a month to up to three or four months sometimes so i'm like wow. a i'm like a semi-florida native you're like i guess a, you're an honorary floridian an honor, yeah an honorary floridian you're, an, you're an honorary a, florida man i'm a florida man you are a florida <laughs> man look at you uh well today we are sitting down with our new friend brandy all the way from florida and yes. uh, fuck, I don't even know where to start with with your story, Brandy, because you you definitely have a a a pretty interesting one. Um, I, can we? First of all, I just want to say uh, I I think this might be the first time we've ever spoken to a veteran on our show. At least, oh, wow. a, definitely a, an American veteran, a U.S. veteran. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We've yeah. had yeah, we've had some. We've had at least one Matt. That's right. Like early yeah. days, like that's right. recently, yeah. yeah. With ALS, yeah, yeah, right. that's right. But yeah. never, never, never a veteran from the good old U.S. of A. Yeah. Um, wow. Where, where did you, where, where did you serve? I was stationed in um, Fort Carson, Colorado, and then Fort Meade in Maryland, and then I was also in it was uh, was it Fort Stewart in Georgia. So that's where I was just last at. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that we're here to talk about um, the fact that you had or have cancer. Had. Had. There's a very, <laughs> yes. very big distinction there. Yes, it is. Uh, yes. Uh, but how does, how does your, I mean, how does, <clears throat> I guess, I, maybe I'm jumping ahead here, but how does cancer play into, into your the work that you did as, as a, as a, as a soldier, like, did that, did, was this something that, that did, did the cancer come while you were serving or was this something that happened afterwards? No. So I was deployed in Iraq when I got sick with cancer. Holy. I know. So crazy. And I kind of like play with the idea that maybe it was like the location I was in because there were several people that were on the same ward that I was on after I get back to the States and, getting treated for cancer there was like 12 of us and we all came from deployment wait 12 12 of you that got cancer that got cancer same type of cancer not the same type so they had leukemia there was stomach there was breast i was the only one with like the bone cancer but all of us not all of us there was a lot of us that were on that ward that were sick and we were deployed that i I, uh, again uh, i'm not sure if i'm jumping ahead here but i it's it's crazy to imagine um, what it would be like to find out that you have cancer when you're being deployed overseas in what I imagine would be, and I've never served overseas, but I imagine going on a deployment like that, there's probably a thought process of like, oh, well, I'm going into a danger, like there, there could potentially be danger that yeah. I face over right. here. But right. then finding out that that danger is something that's actually inside of you and not. I know. What's that? What was that like? Yeah. What war is scarier? The the one that's inside your body or the, or the one <laughs> yeah. that your body is in? I feel like the one that the enemy that's inside you trying to take over you is more scary to me because I felt oh. like 
there was nothing, I was hopeless or I was helpless. Mm. Like there was nothing I could do to stop it or to fix it. At least when there's bombs going off, I can run and get cover or I can, um, we can fight back with, you know, with Mm. machinery or whatever it is. But I definitely feel like. And you have training. Yeah. 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 AIT, basic training, IRT, all of that. So we were all training to go through this war, but to have it inside of you, you know, you don't go to school to learn how to beat a terminal illness. You know, that's not a thing. What was your role in the, in the military or what is your Uh, role, I guess? Oh, I'm out now. So I got got medically retired. Thank goodness. In 2013, um, I did lots of paperwork. So it was like four to alpha stuff, but that's like human resources. I was like four to alpha. I have no fucking clue what that is, but that's right. like, so top secret. I, I was like, are aliens real? Yeah, yeah. Like, like, have you been to Roswell? I was like, uh, can you tell Jack Reacher to send me an autograph? Jack Reacher. Hilarious. Yeah. So four to alpha is like human resource stuff, HR. But it's totally different than it is in like the real civilian world. So it's more like a yeah, it's HR system. with a gun. <laughs> yeah, with a gun, and you don't do a lot of the HR work really. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 So 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 what is so when do you when do you get like bring us through what the what the what's the timeline? When do you when do you get deployed and 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 how long are you there? And when do you find out that this is like how do you go about finding out like yeah, how the fuck symptoms a, and all this? Yeah, shit? how do you get a cancer diagnosis in the middle of a war? Yeah. yeah. Yes, it was crazy. So I was in Iraq for about four months, but during that whole time, it was during 2008 and December. I was experiencing symptoms that I didn't know were symptoms at the time. So I had extreme fatigue and I was just so exhausted. And I felt like I took like a million bottles of NyQuil and I just, you know, drank it. And every day I was just groggy. I was tired. I just couldn't get any energy. And that's one of the symptoms is just having extreme fatigue. And then in January, this mysterious like lump pops up out of my leg out of nowhere. And I didn't notice it until I was stretching on January 17th in 2009. I was stretching. I had worked out a whole bunch. And I was pulling my left leg up to my chest and there was this like this like protrusion sticking out of my leg. And I didn't think anything of it, but that's initially how I found out. I was just stretching one day and saw this lump sticking out of somewhere and went to the doctors and they kind of just ushered me out quickly because they probably knew what it was uh, yeah. And, um, yeah. just around. By quickly, do you mean that they were like, they quickly were like, hey, let's, let's, let's look into this more. No, they were like, you're going on the next helicopter uh, to the hospital. Yeah, oh, right. Okay. So the, yeah. the place that I was at was very small. So we didn't have like, you know, CT scans, MRIs, you know, right. a major hospital. We didn't have any of that stuff. And then who gets sick with cancer while you're in war anyways, you know? So yeah, we yeah, just no, didn't no have that time stuff. for that. Shit. <laughs> I imagine when, they, when <laughs> ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I, I want to kind really? of get in. I want to kind of like understand your, your, like the way that you felt and your thought process during that time of when you realize that you have this like protrusion from your leg and then you go and see those doctors and then they tell you, you have to be like on the next helicopter out of there. It, mm-hmm. Like, is there like a, because I imagine that, like the sort of military um, attitude. I imagine people who are, you know, very tough, very strong-willed, like mm-hmm. like um, able to persevere through any situation. Those are like kind of the characteristics I, I think of. And I imagine that when somebody's like, oh, you got to be on a helicopter out of here. Mm-hmm. Like, was there any like, no, nah, I'll be fine. Like, I don't need to worry about that. Or Or were you looking at your leg going, oh, fuck, there's this thing protruding out of it. The doctors seem kind of nervous. I got to I gotta get going. I really honestly was so naive to it because I ne- I didn't know you could get cancer in your leg. Is that even a thing? I had no clue about yeah. that. We I just talked to – yeah, we just talked to a guy know. who got cancer in his penis, and I didn't know that that was a thing. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so yeah. right on the head of it. At, yeah. at this point now, <laughs> I'm pretty sure you can get cancer Oh God! Well, I, I, initially, I just had no clue that you could get cancer in these places, so it never like rang any alarms that this could be something detrimental. But I was excited to leave. I didn't want to stay because if I left and I was further away from my base, I got more sleep. I get to rest more. So my yeah, whole right. like initiative was, man, if I can get to Baghdad, I'll have two weeks of rest. Maybe I can get some sleep and catch up on this. Mm. But so I was just literally going from place to place. I went from Baghdad. Mm to Germany and then from Germany to uh, DC and other States. 
What's the deal with um, Germany in those situations? Because I feel like I yeah. always hear about Germany. Like, is it the first place where like there's other bases set up <clears throat> that support the troops that are in the Middle East? Yeah, so it's like a like a mid stop point. So it and it's one of the larger uh, facilities there, and they have everything. So they have you know huge infrastructure for the hospitals. They mm. have just everything you need basically, and that's mm. the place that's like the mid halfway that you that you mm. go to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I just I watched a movie the other day. Um, it was called Saving Private Ryan, and I'm pretty sure the Germans <laughs> okay. were the bad guys. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, is that uh, not the that case was, anymore? I think things have moved on. I did want to say though, it's like I I I understand though how why it wouldn't really be front of mind this like sort of worry because like you know how many times I mean maybe not so specific to see like a protrusion coming up, but like. Uh, like, I I can think of several times where I notice something on my body that isn't the norm, mm-hmm. and and like uh, I don't think about it. Like I just go, oh, that's a new thing. That's a yeah. new thing in my body. Yeah, but that, don't like, you clock it? Don't you go? <laughs> yeah. I, maybe, don't you go? I'm right. gonna look at this in sure. three days and yeah, see what I think. Then. I mean. Hmm. Maybe not as much as I should, but (laughs) yes, I do. But also the last thing that's on my mind is, and I know that there's some people out there that aren't like this, but like the last thing that's on my mind is like, if I see a a bump come out of my foot, I'm not like, that's probably foot cancer. Yeah, me too. I'm I'm going, I'm going, I don't know what the fuck that is. And if I'm in a job where, where I have, you know, I feel like it's like, if you notice, correct me if I'm wrong, Brandy, but I feel like if there's something going on with your body and you're in a, you're in a war zone, you're kind of obligated to be like, oh, hey, doc, by the way, I've, I've no, like, I clocked this thing. You know, you're probably more apt to say something. Mm. But do, do you think when they saw your leg that they were like, oh, yes. Like, like do you think they were like, <laughs> probably can't Yeah. <laughs> yeah oh, oh really? Oh, shit. For Whoa, sure. fuck. Wow. She okay. was looking at me like something was so wrong, but you can't oh. tell me I have cancer yet. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah there hasn't right. been a biopsy. There hasn't <clears throat> been any of the machinery, the tests that have to be ran to yeah. fully diagnose me, but I am a thousand percent sure they oh, knew what it was. Right. Okay. This is changing my Everybody mind now did. about how I, yeah. I, I would probably feel if I found a lump on me then. I, I think, I think now I'm, I, I think now I'd be, I'd be, Clocking that a little bit harder. Well, I think in all of the yeah, people that dude. we've we've talked to, like a I thousand know. people who I have know. had cancer in like everywhere. I know. And a lump is, a, yeah. I mean, fuck, we know. I guess yeah. I guess you're right. A lump is always cancer, and it's never <laughs> anything but. <laughs> no. Yeah, that, <laughs> right. if, if we're gonna take something from this podcast, that must be it. <laughs> so so yeah. what so so what so you land in D.C. and what happens then? Are you yeah, are you so am, are you immediately to the hospital? Yes, I get to the hospital um, in contact with my mother the entire time. And so she ends up quitting her job. She brings my nephew also with her because my sister's also deployed in Iraq, but she's at a really good base. They have like a pool, they have a mall, they have a nail salon, everything. Yeah, she was in the lot. So she had a, yeah, it was crazy. They had everything. Uh, So she came down to take care of me. She was my support system. But right when I get there, before, go back a little bit. So when I'm in Germany, the doctor is telling me that he believes it's something called a nerve sheath tumor. And that's supposed to be like the better option of the cancers. And he says to me, well, hope it's not Ewing sarcoma cancer. And I'm like, okay, whatever that means. So when I'm leaving Germany, I'm thinking I have a nerve sheath tumor because that's what they said I had. So when Mm -hmm. I get to Walter Reed, I have to do a new a uh, biopsy. I have to do a bone marrow biopsy. Oh my god, it's the worst pain ever. Oh, I've heard. So, yeah, bone yeah. marrow. Ooh. That's where they take that massive needle, right, and go right into your bone. They break your bone. They break your whoa. back. Oh, they break whoa. it. Whoa. They have to crack oh. your back two times because they get got to get both sides of the hip thing back here. They oh. break it and then they suck the bone marrow up, and it's so painful. Oh it's my tw- god, it's twenty twenty one. How, how have we not got, how have we not figured out a better way? A better way. How, how do they do that to you? Like, it's how horrific. Do, do you do you know how they break your back? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they so kick it. They they, they drop they, kick they, it. They, <laughs> besides that one, but there's like this like long chisel thing, and they kind of uh, just like bang it in. Your oh back. my god! Oh, oh, I think that hurts uh-huh. my back. I think I'd rather the. It. 
the, the drop kick. That's fucked. Oh, yeah, it's horrible. I, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It and is horrible. Do they so, give you pain meds? For, 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 like no, pre, pre-pain no, meds? No, no. No, what they gave me was Ativan to like calm me down because I saw this movie called Four Pounds with Will Smith in it. He had a bone marrow Bob scene. I'm oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, that's how it's going to feel. Like, I don't think I can take when you, it. When like, you said bone marrow, that was the scene that I imagined because yeah, I remember yeah, yeah. The, the camera, he's like laying face down on the bed. I remember him yeah. getting, getting that and I was like, oh, Oh my God, this is intense. It, it was seven horrific. Pounds, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. okay, seven pounds. I thought yeah, yeah, four yeah. pounds, but it was terrible. <clears throat> so they do the biopsy and all that. It was it was horrible. But um, after they finally they come back and they tell me that it's Ewing sarcoma cancer, not a nerve sheath tumor. And then that's when like all hell break loose. I think I'm gonna uh, die. I start getting depressed, and so that's because. Mm-hmm. What is what is that? What is, like I've never heard of Ewing sarcoma. What is that? Uh, it's a. It usually starts in the bone. Or in the soft tissue area, it mind it get to the bone, thank God. So it's like everything in the soft tissue. Uh, so there's blood vessels, you know, fat, the capillaries, all of that muscle. And it spreads to your lungs, your spinal cord, and your brainstem if it ends up, you know, uh, progressing or metastasizing anywhere. So it's oh. really aggressive. And you are, mm. I don't want to say you don't, but a lot of people don't make it past five years. And um, I'm at my 12th year mark, so I think I'm in the clear. Pretty oh, good. shit. Whoa. Whoa, yeah. shit. 12 years? Oh, right, right. Yeah, you said 2008. Fuck, I knew. Yeah. I, I can do math. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, it's been a while. Mm-hmm. Wow. So how long? And, and so they, they know it's a, they, you find out it's a Ewing sarcoma. Like mm-hmm. on, on the mental, you know, I feel like you were, you were kind of about to go into that there, like on the <gasps> mental side of things you know, knowing that a Ewing sarcoma is, you know, they give you these likelihoods or, you know, the average person has lived the past five years. Uh-huh. Da, 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 da. How, how do you, how do you process that? How does that, what goes through your head? How, you know, what goes uh, on there? I was in denial for so long and I just couldn't believe it was, this was happening. Like literally a month ago I was fine. And now mm. I'm like, I might die. Um, you know, the, the priest is coming in and out of my hospital room asking me if I need to update my affairs and make sure everything's okay and it's correct. Oh, wow. It was just, it was just so much going on. It's kind of like being on a roller coaster ride and you're just zooming by everything. Like I didn't have mm. enough time to register everything because it was such really bad cancer, really aggressive. They were just really fast with whatever, you know, the treatment plan was for me. Mm. I didn't I, have time I, to process I, it. I, wow. I like everything you're saying now. Only because I know that you you are a veteran, I can't help but think like like kind of um, compare this experience of finding out that you have a very intense, um, uh, you know, quote unquote bad cancer, and going through that process of feeling like you're on the roller coaster and everything's zooming by you. And then comparing that to like being thrown into, yeah. uh, you know, a wartime situation where it's like, we've given you the training, but like, here you <laughs> yeah. go. We're going to like drop you in a real hot fucking zone and, and like, yeah. like cross your fingers and hope you don't fuck up. Like, right? do you, did you, do you feel like any of the training, I mean, fuck, there's so like, there's so many things that I'm wondering, but I guess, I guess one of the things is like, do you feel like any of the training that you got through the military could have prepared you for what you were currently going through at that time? I do. I do. I feel like not, not so much mentally, but physically, my body was strong. I was in the mm. best shape of my life and all the chemotherapy and all the treatment I had to take in that 10 months was 101 times the chemo. That's like unheard of for people Whoa. with, with treatment, yeah. 17 cycles. So I would do it for five days Whoa. on eight days off, five days on eight days off. And I, when I initially started, I was strong. I was in shape. You know, I was feeling well. By the time it was over, I was getting pushed out of a wheelchair. I had a hunched back. I was walking with a super bad limp. And I was so weak that I couldn't even sign my name out of the hospital. Wow. That is a, that is a majorly hardcore chemo treatment. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, it was I mean, intense. I, I feel like. I feel like the most that I've ever even really heard is six. I feel like I feel like Brandon went through six, and yeah. I'm, that's what I'm maybe eight. Wow. Uh, yeah. I feel like I feel like I've we've heard um, thirty times uh, a couple times, but but like a hundred oh, is insane. Yeah, fuck, yeah. dude. That's that. It was I, that a is lot. a and that one and, is and, a lot. It, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, like, I'm yeah, sitting here yeah, going. Yeah. 
I'm uh, I'm good with like I'm good with zero. You know, yeah, like I think anything good. over zero I mean, is a too much. <laughs> yeah, so are you? And is that is that is that quantity of chemo? Is that just because they're like this thing is super aggressive? We yes. need to we need to basically give you as much chemo as you can take without dying. Or is it because they're like? We've got Laura Croft in here, and she can take it. Like, <laughs> no. she, like you are the you are the like like the epitome of like perfect specimen. Let's just pump her full of chemo. Man, that would be terrible if that was the case. But that was just, that would be horrible. But that was the regiment that they've had for like 50, 60 years. So people oh. who have Ewing sarcoma, that's what oh, you wow. get. You get seventeen wow. cycles. So do you wow. think do you think that if you weren't like in peak physical shape that I that day, that day you went. Yeah, I was gonna say that day you went to like go sign your name out of the hospital. Like that, that might have looked like a very different day. Might yeah, I probably happened. wouldn't have made it. Yeah, yeah. it says it, yeah. it. It says a lot for how just only the physical aspect of things. Like, you know, there is there are so many reasons. I mean, there's so many reasons why being physically active and being, you know taking care of yourself physically and whatever, having like something that gets you active and stuff that, and that keeps you strong. For, I mean, for the mental side of things, like we talk about that in terms of mental health all the time, yeah. but, but you know, there's, there's a massive, massive benefit in, in, for that in all ways, you know, having cancer. When I got hit by the car, I, that was like, if I wasn't in the shape that I'm in, yeah, that would have been, been a much, different. much different process, mm-hmm. much slower process um, to heal up. I mean, it just it says a lot for how how important it is to just mm-hmm. take care of yourself physically. Brandy, uh, I wanted right. I wanted to I wanted to ask about because um, we're talking about um, the possibility of dying, and mm-hmm. I can imagine that that went through your mind a lot. Um, I've always been fascinated with with this idea of like, and I, and I think of myself, like if I was diagnosed with cancer, like, like this, like how would I handle that? And what would be going through my, my mind and, and facing your own mortality is obviously a huge part of that. Like, what was, what was that experience like for you? It was so scary. So surreal because you, I mean, we all feel like we know we're going to die someday, but it's kind of like, you don't know when, and you kind of feel invincible at times. At least I did for a while. Yeah. But I felt it was just so surreal, so surreal. It was it was hard to accept that I was going to be dying. And I was so young. I was only 24. I was pissed. I was very mm-hmm. upset. I was very angry that this was happening to me. And I don't know. I, something like I'm petrified of death. I do not want to die. So when I initially get the diagnosis, this is going to happen to me. Like everything I had in me was just like, you have to fight. You cannot die. This is mm. not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So my whole thought process after I had my little pity party for a while about what was <laughs> me and, you know, like just crying my butt off all the time. I finally just kicked it into gear. and I was like, I'm not giving up. I'm not going to die. I don't care what the doctors are telling me. Like, I don't, it doesn't matter what the prognosis or the statistics are, because according to those, I should not be alive or have my leg. But I was just, you know, I didn't care. I was going to do whatever I could to stay alive. So when you did go and sign that sheet, what, you know, what did, what did you do? Like, and by that, I mean, like, what did the, how did you, I take, I can't see your leg right now, but I take it you have two legs? Oh yeah, I have two legs. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, fuck. Yeah. Thanks, fuck. I, I would have felt like really bad if you if you were like, no, I only have one. You asshole. Like, I, no. But but the way you said that, it was it's kind of like oh, so so you got through it. You didn't lose I your leg. Mm-hmm. Did you did you like get did you get through it when you left the hospital? Was it kind of like all right, you you went through the 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 gauntlet of a hundred and whatever chemo treatments. Let's cross our fingers and like you can walk out of here or wheel out of here. Yeah, wheel out of there. I didn't know what was going to happen. I really didn't. I just knew the goal was to to leave, to to walk out alive. And there's another thing. So in the hospital, they'd have these different rooms that were set up and they didn't really This is just my assumption off of it. So the big the largest room was the room for the patient that has been there the longest. <clears throat> and then the smaller rooms were the ones that just got there and it kind of just like got bigger and bigger and bigger. But each time a room got empty, the bigger room, that means that person passed away because mm. nobody on the ward mm. walked off or lived. Everybody, every every single patient, uh, the person I was deployed with, 
they all died. Every single one. I was the only oh, one. Oh, oh my God. The only <clears throat> one. I know. The only one who ended up uh, getting wheeled out, walked off, whatever. But were so these, I, were these people not, you knew? Like like the people you were deployed with? Were they were they close to you? No, I didn't know them until after, you know, we, right, we right. met in the ward and stuff. But there was one lady who was my sister's NCO who was um, at the same place that she was at in Balad. My sister knew her. I didn't know her. But I ended up taking her spot in that large room because she died. Uh, she went, oh, she had wow. to get a transplant in Washington and ended up passing away in wow. Washington state. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So slowly, like we'd see what, you know, the progress is what's going to be happening. And it was just, that really drove me to stay. I, <laughs> I did not want to die. I, I wanted to ask about that, uh, that, that fear of death because, um, like I, I sort of identify as somebody who is like afraid to die, like not, yes. not afraid to <laughs> die eventually, but like I would be a fucking terrified to think about dying yeah. in the near future. And it's funny because like doing this podcast sometime that will be the near future. Yeah, I know. But, oh, God. but, but you know you know what I read actually but, just not to cut you off Brian, but you know what I read today that actually like really fucked me up. We're all going to die. It was uh, <laughs> it was it was a uh, every year we unknowingly uh just breeze right through our death day. Like, you know, we all have a birthday. Mine's January 5th. Well, we, we all... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Day. Oh, that's oh. Great. Every year, we oh, have yeah, that's unknowingly do something on that day, but we just have no idea that that's the day. That's true. Oh, my that's, God. That's very true. Um, <sighs> what, I, what, I, what I was saying was, was that it's been interesting doing this podcast over the last five or six years now and talking to so many people who face their mortality mm. because it's kind of like allowed me this opportunity to see into those situations and then therefore like start to consider my own mortality more. And there are moments where I think about what it would be like to die Mm -hmm. and not be here anymore. And, Mm -hmm. and I find this like weird comfort in the idea of knowing that it's going to happen. And then like, I think it will happen for a little bit. And then all of a sudden I'm like straight back into just being afraid of dying again. Yeah. I'm as somebody who it sounds like, like you're, you know, you have this sort of same fear of, of dying yes. now and wanted to <laughs> yes. fight against that. Did yes. you have any moments through your, through your cancer experience where you were considering your mortality and that cancer sort of taught you something or like shone a light on the idea of dying in a way that maybe you haven't looked at it before? Mm, no, it really yeah. hasn't. I feel like I still don't want to die. Yeah. What has happened is it's made me more grateful for life. It showed me how quickly things could change. It showed me um, how just the beauty of life just in general, because sometimes you'll be here and sometimes you might be sick or you might be dead the next day. So just not taking things for granted and because mm. you really never know when it's going to happen. That's what it's taught me, but it hasn't like, made me feel more at peace with dying because I don't want to die. Yeah. I know you, uh, I, kn- I, I know, answer, I know you said you were kind of more, you're, <laughs> you're on like the human resources side of, uh, of things in, in the military, but I know that if you're in the military, you got to do basic training and the, you know, whatever <laughs> other forms of training you do. Does the, what kind of, what kind of, um, what kind of stuff does the military, like, does the military, how, how do they address, how do they address that with people who are, entering the military and, um, you know, being deployed to, to war zones and like, how do they, how do they address that potential? Like what kind of language does the military use to describe this potential, your, your, the, your, your potential death when you go, when you go into a war zone or do they not? Oh, they do. They do. And I don't even know if I should say anything. Um, <clears throat> so I'm not going to say to everybody, not this, we're not going to brand this as the best what the military does, but with my experience, yeah, mm-hmm. the NCOs or the drill sergeants that I had were very blunt about it. Mm. They were very serious about it. And they were very like matter of fact, not, they wasn't like, if you get deployed, it's when you get deployed mm. and you're going to have to use these tactics and these tools. And it's, uh, you know, some of you are going to die in this group, in this bunch. And some of you aren't going to come back. Some of you are going to have scars that no one can see, like mental, their PTSD, stuff like that. So they're just throwing it out there, letting us know Mm. that it's going to happen. And Mm. you can accept it if you want it. Yeah. Wow. So you're kind of like, yeah, it's kind of like, (laughs) it's, it's, you're, you're, you're like, you're in the, you're in the like Russian roulette chamber. 
And right. like, you know, who knows, you know, you, what, you I, never know. I yeah. mean, not to like, not to kind of hammer on that topic too much, but what <laughs> yeah. do you, do you, what do you, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Like, what are your thoughts on, on that kind of approach? Because like the reason I ask is I, I live with cystic fibrosis, which is a, a, a fatal genetic disease. Really? And I'm, and I'm, and I'm pretty like, I'm pretty frank about it. Like it's, it's, if, if I don't get hit by a car randomly, it's going to be that, it's going to be this thing that takes my life. I mean, statistically speaking, that's it. Right. Yeah. And, and that's my reality, you know, and there's no, like, there's no sugarcoating it. Like I I look at it from a, I kind of look at it from that sort of drill sergeant type of mentality of like, Hey, buckle up. Cause like, this is your, this is your reality. You can't fucking change it. So right choose to accept it or, or, or choose to let the fear consume you and, and, and prevent you from doing the best that you can do while you're here. Right. But do, do you, like, did you, is that. It's different for was, everybody. Was right? that tough love? Like, like the, the thing that spoke to you in those moments of, of, of facing yeah. death in, in that scenario of like with, of wartime. Um, so I feel like it's very necessary with their approach and how mm. they, they're teaching because you can't get all too close to these people. You, yeah, you know, yeah. you're there, you have cycles of these. And so every six weeks you're going to get somebody new. So they're not really there to bond with you. They're there to teach you and show you the way mm-hmm. and to help uh, prevent any deaths because you're also responsible for multiple people's lives. If you mess up, then you might mess up, mm. you know, your whole platoon or something. So they have to be very rigid on that. So I understand that aspect, mm. but um I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like it's a, a bad approach. I think it's very, very necessary. And also too. So my sister was a drill sergeant in the military for uh, a couple years. And the reason why they're so angry and mad and, you know, just not happy, they work like 18 hours a day. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. They are exhausted when I don't get sleep. I am so, you know, in a terrible mood. So they're probably also exhausted and they don't want to be dealing with you know, little assholes all day. My, 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 like my drill sergeant, um, like the, the, the person that comes into my head as a drill sergeant is always the guy from full metal jacket Yeah, yeah me or too. stripes. Is it the same guy in stripes and full metal jacket? I don't know. Stripes. I don't know. Stripes. You don't know stripes with Bill Murray and, uh, no, what? Let's talk about stripes some more. Oh my god, you got to watch stripes. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, you've, you've mentioned your sister and your your family a couple of times, and I'm I'm, you know, there's out of all the people we've talked to who lived with any kind of illness, but especially with cancer, there's always there's always a lot to be said for the way that it affects your interpersonal relationships, and I'm curious to know how. <laughs> It how how has cancer taken a toll, uh, or maybe not so much taken a toll, but just in some way affected the relationships of the people that you were close to? Yeah. So I was sick with cancer. A lot of people don't know. I was married at the time, so I was twenty four. I was married to this guy, and what cancer has definitely showed me is that um, when you really need somebody and they're not there for you at the point in your life like he wasn't he cheated on me with everybody you could think of it was just ridiculous and then on top of that he was because he thought I was going to die he was planning on leaving and moving out with this air force chick who was like 20 years his age he was just ridiculous but I ended up finding all of this out and I'm like wow you know I don't ever want to be with somebody that I cannot count on yeah. when I am at my lowest point in my life so that's definitely something that cancer has taught me with my relationship aspects like I need to make sure that whoever I'm with is really got my back and going to be loyal to me. Even uh, if, you know, I end up in a wheelchair or something like, I don't yeah. want something terrible to happen to me. And then all of what we hoped for and we wanted is thrown out because of yeah. unforeseen circumstances. Fuck. Mm-hmm. But yeah. You can't that's, have a yeah. fair weather partner. That's oh, for man, sure. That's yeah. so, that's so <clears throat> intense because it's like, you know, you have, you have the element of cancer that is there, which, a is is like very uh, obviously going to take a, a a pretty big toll on your physical body. Mm-hmm. B, the cancer itself and the and the process of of B 
being told that you have a, a, a disease out of nowhere, a fucking, you know, you're, you're, you are this, you are this soldier. You're the epitome of health. You've got this, like your body is like in peak shape. And then all of a sudden you're told, yes, well, now you have a, now you have a disease that's probably going to kill you. Right. Um, and, and the mental toll that comes with that. Then on top of that, add the mental toll that is taken from having, yeah. having lost a relationship through circumstances, which, I mean, not to like put this, not to put this on you, but for mm-hmm. most, for most people would leave someone also emotionally scarred going forward in their future relationships. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, right. I, I'm, I, know, I know that it's quite common for, especially if someone's been cheated on that, you know, the, the, the next relationship that follows that or the every relationship that follows that forward comes right. with its own host full of insecurities and, mm-hmm. and, you know, like, like, Trust mental hardships and, and, and trust issues and stuff like that. So like it's, right. it's, it's, it's just such a, it's such a stark reminder of how one little kink in the way that our body exists can just spread out and fuck up so much of our lives. Kind of, kind of exactly like COVID can't. Can- cancer. <laughs> cancer. I was going to say cancer. <laughs> well, that's what I, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Cancer, like can- like that kink in the body. That that's cancer. Like no, that. I know, but the spreading. Oh yeah, yeah. That's yeah, right. yeah, just yeah, like, yeah, exactly. More yeah, of how you describe the like. I got you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I want to talk a little bit more about uh, mental health too. Like sort of. Well, I want I want to stay on the relationship yeah. thing there. If, if that's okay, I don't want to get too personal, but yeah. Have, have you? Are you? Are you? It's been twelve years now. Are you seeing someone now? Like, have you have you have you found a new partner? Did you? Oh, I guess yes. my question so is: Did you find that person that's going to stay there with you and stick with you through thick and thin? I, I found him. I found him. So it, everything has yeah. worked out. I definitely learned a lot of lessons uh, yeah. through cancer and just people's character and um, yeah. So and then my requirements of people or what I'd like to have out of an individual or a partner has drastically changed as mm-hmm. well. So. And was there, was there, was there sort of mountains to climb relationship wise? Oh kind yeah. Of, kind of like to get out of the, 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 the depths of that Valley that you, you kind of were tossed into from your previous yeah, relationship. I, so I was thinking cancer might return forever. So I didn't want to get close to people because mm-hmm. I didn't want to have this exact same situation you're in love with somebody or you're with somebody and then cancer comes. And then, you know, this whole life that you kind of planned out is like ripped out of your, you know, gr- your grip again. Mm-hmm. And then I had a huge, 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 huge portion taken out of my leg. So then I don't even want to be naked in front of anybody. I yeah. don't really want to mm-hmm. like, you know, I just felt like ashamed of what was going on and what was happening. So it took a long time to like learn how to love myself and to rebrand myself and to be okay with, how I, my leg looks now. And if mm. anybody would accept that, uh, you know, this very visible drastic change that I have, but it took a long time, but mm. what, you know, it's what, finally happened. What is that? What is that change? Like they obviously in the operation they took out, they like, <clears throat> is it that they had to remove, they just had to like remove a, a chunk of your, of your thigh when they remove the tumor and like the margins, yeah. the margins of the tumor as well. Yeah, so they removed my entire adductor muscle. So that's the inner muscle you have in your leg. Whoa. They removed that whole thing out. So it's like seven pounds. So whoa, they took, whoa. Holy fuck. Yeah, so they took out the muscle, the fat, mm-hmm. the tissue, everything. Yeah. They removed it. So my left leg, the inside of it, you could feel the bone in my leg. Wow. Oh, whoa. crazy. Wow. Do you, yeah. Do, like, like, does that affect the, the way yeah. that you use your leg? <laughs> oh, yeah, so... Uh, before all of this cancer stuff, I was an athlete. I played basketball and soccer. I was going to be trying out for the all-army team. And I had talked to the coach, and they said for me to come back. Basically, had like a spot on the team in the event that I would come back healthy and well. Cancer happened. They tell me my athletics are taken away. I'll never run again. You know, my whole entire life that I've groomed to be is just gone. My whole life Fuck. is just gone. Yeah, it was. it was really hard. And I've, you know, I've been so passionate about just being athletic and playing sports. I really wanted to go pro too, but, you know, cancer came and (laughs) ripped it away. But there's nothing I could have, you know, changed or done or fixed. You know, it was just inevitable. It's going to happen. So now I try to work out and be as uh, active as I can. It's just I can't be in a competitive state because if someone were to run into my leg, it'd break the bone. 
Oh, because there's no like oh. padding on the inside. There's nothing. <clears throat> like, yeah. there, and there's not even muscle to build back. Is that the case? None. Muscle doesn't grow back. Yeah, yeah none. Right, and right. so I would do tons of rehab. So if I would like <clears throat> to lay back and do flutter kicks, this leg starts going out this way. Oh, right. Because wow. there's no yeah. muscle to keep yeah, right. it in. Yeah. yeah. It's, Whoa. It's, yeah. It's, it's insane. Whoa, crazy. <laughs> it's very wild. weak. Fun, a fun party trick, though. You know, you're like, hey, guys, watch this. <laughs> I don't even have to try. It's, it's, um, it's, it's, um, wild to think about like the, like all of the loss that comes with can't, can't, a cancer diagnosis and going through treatment and, and the recovery process. My mom had uh, bladder cancer and, um, she lost her bladder and a lot of her, um, um, internal organs they had to remove quite a bit so that she, she now like, basically has to urinate through her through a stint in her next to her belly button. And also wow. also the coolest party trick I've ever she, seen. My mom stands to pee and up here in Canada she can pee and write her name in the snow like yeah. she has a yeah. like she has a penis. So she's pretty proud <laughs> wow. about that. Yeah she's, she's stoked about it. <clears throat> but um but like I know she's like, stoked in, about it. In speaking with her like <laughs> the you know she really had to gr- go through a grieving process of like mm. grieving the part of her that is yes. no longer there. Yes. And now I'm thinking of like your experience and also grieving your relationship and the part of you that's no, no longer there. Like how mm-hmm. you you seem like such a, an incredibly strong person. Like what was the mental health journey like of going through all of this? Like was there, what were those low lows like? And, and how did you go through that? I first had to like accept that the old life that I was fighting for the entire time in the hospital was gone. Like that person was never coming back. I had to just come to peace with the old Brandy is dead and gone. And there's a new person that has to come about, but I didn't know what I liked now, what I was good at. Like what my whole identity had been just tarnished. I didn't know anything about myself. So it just took a long time to just be okay with what was going on and uh, being okay to be vulnerable and being okay to ask for help and finding beauty and asking for help because I never would have, you know, cried or um, was really open about what I was truly feeling. But having cancer definitely changed that. And I just felt like that also helped with my mental health as well. So I started going seeing different doctors and psychiatrists, um, uh, you know, just really exploring the whole aspect of mental health because I didn't truly understand it mm-hmm. until after, you know, because mm. people talk about mental health, but like, what is it? What is that? What does that look like? I had nothing to, you know, I didn't have a, a doctor that I have to go see to go speak to for, for what I didn't have these issues or these problems. Mm-hmm. And so now I was exploring these avenues and really appreciating um, just being able to get it off my chest and, and talk about it and how therapeutic it was too just acknowledge what was happening with me and validating it as well. Mm-hmm. I was, um, as you were, as you were saying that Brandy, and as you asked that question, <clears throat> Brian, I kind of was reminded of the, the, the conversation we had with Julia Samuel a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And, um, this, this, she's a fantastic, um, um, Psychi- uh, psychotherapist, 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 yeah. psychotherapist and, uh, an author. And she, she writes a lot about like grief and, and loss and, um, and coping with grief and managing grief. And, um, and I, and she said that if you, that the average person goes through, Eight um, sort stages. of like a, like, like a, like a, uh, yeah. n- not the stages of grief, but that the oh. average person goes through like a major, a major shift every seven years. So if you were to chop your life into like seven year segments, you'd probably find like on average, you'd go, there'd be something that would sort of catalyze a major change in your life, whether that's like graduating uh, high school yeah. and going to a new city for the first time. I like university. to think of them can, as chapters <laughs> in a book. Chapters yeah. in a book. Yeah, totally. getting, getting, getting cancer, getting a, cancer, a, a major yeah. relationship change, a, mm-hmm. a major career shift, um, you know, whatever it might be. And, uh, and I just find that like, I don't know. I just find that fascinating that like we've been talking to people who have had major, major things happen in their life that have, that, that kind of your life is going this way. And then you get this, Mm -hmm. you get this thing and now it's, it's way off. And now it goes off in this random direction that you never thought it would. Right. And I've never, it wasn't really until I heard her say that. And actually until just now that I'm realizing that like every single person we've talked to, like 
that is like your diagnosis is one of those things that comes about in and and just comes about and sets you off in another direction and will probably experience some other major shift you know like a a a decade on from that like within the, the next 10 years but the years. crazy thing about that that I'm that I'm thinking about now is that that change in direction has sort of like to say it in a, in a sort of poetic way like infinite possibilities 100%. for you to oh, yeah. embrace yeah yeah but you're also <laughs> like it's always it seems to always be about what you're leaving behind because you had this trajectory you were headed on and you had this life that you were living and now that's no longer yeah. there so like in the grieving process like that's really what it's all about is like mourning that loss of what could have been mm. or what mm-hmm. was yeah. new opportunity right. new like always looking at it as like new opportunity like you know you shed your you shed your whole uh, a layer of skin every like you know every week it's like you know that was great skin <laughs> <laughs> but now we're on to a new layer <laughs> or, or and we've got great that possibilities skin, that skin sucks or that skin yeah. sucks we got some new fresh and now skin. i'm yeah. done with right. this skin and i'm moving on to the next layer and we're going to figure out how to how to work with it uh, Are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel, ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast, Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you got your podcasts. Um, I, I know this is kind of like bouncing back a little bit uh, earlier in the conversation, but you something that really stuck out to me was that you had mentioned how there were so many people on the same ward mm-hmm. who were also from the same, um, uh, what do you call it? De- de- uh, we were deployed. De- deployed together? Mm-hmm. Not to, together, to say, but like we were deployed. All deployed, yeah, right, sure. Okay, so d- like, d- did you did you say that you thought that you know, perhaps there was a link between the location that you were in and the cancer that you had? I do. I feel like, so the water was terrible. You were not supposed to drink the tap water. Like it was terrible for whatever the reason, but we Mm. took showers in it. Like that doesn't make sense. So that's odd. There was burn pits that were there. So burn pits are where you burn literally everything. There's Humvees, there's tires, there's trash, there's poop, there's, garbage and they're burning it because there's no mm. where to put the trash so they're black you know fog or the black smoke and that chemicals that's in there that you're inhaling so it could be a number of different things but i don't i really don't know what it was man um, wouldn't that be no- crazy if like if like 15 years from now or maybe way longer than that who knows they are like yeah, burn Here, pits cause cancer. Here's the link. Here's oh, the, here's the link. Yeah, they definitely. Yeah, do. we yeah yeah we know that. Yeah, yeah. They, so there's tons of different class action or class A. I don't know. Yeah, 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 class, yeah class action. action yeah. yeah, yeah. That um for these lawsuits that are going on with the burn pits, and I'm in a couple of them. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I I was saying I, when you mentioned burn pit, it like sparked a thing in my. I have no idea. I think I I feel like I read something. Maybe, it made me think of Jarhead. Uh, that's a movie that uh, have you seen that one? I have seen Jarhead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about movies. Yeah. Uh, do people who are in the military like military movies, <laughs> or do they, or do they hate, or do they hate them, yeah. or are they, are they all bullshit? I feel like I know some. I'm not gonna say who because she might get upset, but I know somebody who does not like military movies because she feels like they portray it the wrong way, like it's yeah. not authentic. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's other people that do love it because of like the war and the action and you know yeah. all that. I think there's this, like, there's, there's, I've heard people in the military, like, pretty high up military, uh, like, on certain, on certain, you know, whatever, certain, um, like, online shows where they're like, here's some movies that do it well, and here's some movies that, yeah. that yeah. do it really well. People like right. the real, real ones, like that uh, one that Rihanna was in with the big sea creatures and stuff. What's that? I don't know, but well, that sounds super. Battleship. Legit. Battleship. Yeah. That's so right, right? Rihanna was yeah. in it. I Battleship so. had yeah, Battleship had so. sea monsters in it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It, the one with Rihanna. That's not really like the military, <laughs> but anyway. 
Somebody um, was like, I know what he's talking about. Was Woody Harrelson <laughs> in Battleship? I don't know. I'll watch anything he's in. Um, speaking <laughs> of Google, uh, speaking of uh, things that are uh, that are good at uh, portraying what it truly is like, uh, <laughs> let's take a second to talk about your book, Brandy. Oh yeah, my book, um, uh, The <laughs> Enemy Inside Me. Um, yes. uh, what's, oh, what a great so, title! I know, isn't it fucking great? It's such a great title. Did, did mm. where did? Uh, how did you come up with that title? Man, okay, okay, so I originally this this book started out as a journal, and because everybody oh, cool. thought I was gonna die and I wasn't gonna live, I was leaving something behind for my nephew because I was so livid and upset mm. and sad that I was gonna die, and not have anything to do with my nephew, and I was you know just not feeling very happy about that. So it started out as a journal. It was just about what we were doing, our interactions, what's going on for in the event that I did pass away. But then months, you know, went on and I ended up living and I made a promise to myself that if I got to live, that I was going to create a book out of it. So I get out of the military and I join a, uh, a graduate program for writing and I use my journal as my thesis and kind of create a little book out of it. And then I published it. So that's how it all came about. Cool. And is it, is it basically, um, you know, how, what what do you cover in the book? Is it is it the is it do you cover much of the journey that you took through through the military? Is it is it more so focused on the cancer battle itself? Uh, so it goes back and forth. I jump through different time frames or different chapters of my life every seven years. Just kidding, but I jump through <laughs> different chapters in my life. Uh, so I start out. I talk about my uh, my stepdad. His father ended up passing with cancer. We talk about that. I talk about being in basic training. And then I start talking about my experience from the initial like discovery of the cancer or the tumor all the way up until the hospital and getting chemotherapy and how I was feeling. So it's just my take on um, my whole experience, not the whole entire experience, but the majority of my experience while having cancer. Was that persevering? Yeah. Was that process like, I mean, I know that writing a book is, uh, from what I've been told, is, is sort of its own like torturous uh, uh, endeavor on its own. But like, was there? Did you? I I also understand that for a lot of people, writing can be a quite quite a cathartic experience. And having gone through the experience of battling your cancer, um, essentially winning that battle. And then, and then turning to paper to write down your experience. Like, was that, was that a therapeutic experience for you? And, and do you feel like you, do you feel like you, you were able to almost learn something from yourself through that process of like, of, of writing such, writing about something that, that, that obviously did touch you so deeply and, and, and shaped you and shifted you so deeply? Yeah. I feel like after writing it and like rereading it and having to edit and all that stuff, it was very touching. I guess I'll say like some parts would make me cry. Some of it make me revisit it. And I'd feel just so surreal. Like, wow, I went through this. This is mm. crazy. Mm. But I don't want to say it was like therapy. It was just kind of like, you know, like I experienced this, this happened to me. And it's just like my, you know, my life in this little book here. And I just so, I don't know how to explain it. It's really surreal. Um, yeah. I know really how you feel. how to explain. I mean, yeah. there's, there's something about reflection that, that, yeah. that always sort of seems to be surreal. You know, it, it, I, I sometimes look at my past and, there's almost this like dreamlike quality to it, you know, where it's, right. where it's, it's, it's like the, it's like the moment, the moments where you wake up from a night of sleep and you, you, it's one of those mornings where like you remember your dream pretty vividly, mm-hmm. but, and, and like you, it, you, it, it like has a tangible feeling like, you know, like a, a dream where you, where you, you got in a fight with your, your partner or something. And, and yeah. you're, you're kind of like, you're going through about your day, like making breakfast and you're kind of like, oh, fuck that motherfucker. You know, like, you know, yeah. you're, you're like holding on to it a bit. But, I, don't, but, I don't do that. But, but, then, but, then, but then you're, but then you're, you know, it, it's like you, you have that feeling, yeah. but it's all, but, but also it's, it's not, it's not, 
really that feeling. Like it's it's it, there's, a, there's mean, a distance though, yeah. to it, yeah. and, yeah. and I, I feel like sometimes when I think about my past and the things that that I've been through and the experiences that I've had, there's that same sort of dreamlike quality where it's like I f- I'm I can put myself there, I can feel this, but also I know it's not now, mm-hmm. and and there's there's something about that that's like. There's something about that kind of reflection, about about really stepping back and looking at what you've been through and examining that with mm-hmm. like a really close eye that that but, it that allows for like some sort of learning. It's very it's very <clears throat> hard to to it's it can be very hard because when you were when you were saying that, Brandy, I was like, that's I I got I got hit by a car about a year and a half ago now, almost two years ago, and broke my pelvis and was all banged up. And oh. and I think about when I think about being in a wheelchair, and then mm. me now, I'm like, man, I was there. Yeah, like wow. I was, I was there. Like I, I like the state that I was in. I imagine you probably kind of. It's it's almost like you imagining you, you know, checking yourself out of the hospital and not not even being able to sign your name, like. Right. He, and going, holy shit! I, I was in what that. A, a I was time. in that yeah. state. I can't even believe right. that I was that. I was that. Mm. And right. and it's 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 like it's very weird. It's a very um, because it, it feels like if and it is a different part of you or a different version right. of you. Right. Right. And yeah. it's it's it's. I feel like it's just it's crazy to say that you've experienced that that you were in the wheelchair that. I had this really rare cancer to think of it and reflect on it years later, but I have learned lessons from it. I've learned that we are so much more stronger than we really truly know. If Mm -hmm. you really want something like you could definitely, you can get it. You can have it. If you want to live, you can live, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. and it also has put, it has motivated me beyond belief. I've never been somebody who would go out and do something and not know, really what it is I was trying to seek. Like I just, whatever it is, whatever I want, I'm going after it. And I don't care. Mm. You know, I don't, I don't need to know how I'm getting there. I just need to know where the destination is. Mm. Yeah, that's a good way to live. Yeah. It reminds me of my CrossFit <clears throat> coach today was like, <laughs> he was like, <laughs> he was like, I know, I know you got 20 reps in you. And I was like, no, no, I only got, I think I can only do 10. He was like, you're not leaving here until you do 20. And then it's exactly and then, like uh, that. Yeah. And like, you, you know, I, I see this, the like, parallels. comfort zone. And you know it's important to uh, you guys know what I'm saying. Get out of your yeah. comfort zone. Get out of your comfort zone. Reach for reach for the stars. My my favorite part yeah. about all that is that uh, it was it took 50 minutes, 56 minutes and 19 seconds for Brian to find a moment where he goes, "Oh, here's how I can insert how I went to CrossFit today." I just <laughs> I just want to say I just want to say Joe Rogan has elk meat. Taylor has his cycling accent, and I have CrossFit. <laughs> yeah, right, okay. there you go. There you go. Uh, again, the book is Elk called meat. "The Enemy Inside Me." Uh, Brandy, this has been a real treat to sit down and to chat with you and to get to know you a little better. Um, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to shoot the shit with of us. Of course. Mm-hmm. Thank yeah. you for having me. It was yeah. nice to meet you all. You guys yeah, are hilarious. Sweet. Thank you. <laughs> Well, it wasn't that sweet. That was sweet. It's pretty sweet. It was sweet. Sweet. That's pretty sweet. Uh, you know what else is sweet? Uh, we are doing episodes all the time now. Uh, so you'll you'll you may have noticed we are flooding the feed. We are putting out episodes every Monday, every Wednesday, every Hashtag Friday. flood the feed. Hashtag feed flooders. Hashtag we drained the swamp and we filled the feed. <laughs> um, uh, we are, uh, we're doing this new thing now. So uh, you can listen to our regular Monday episodes like you are now. Uh, you can listen to our routine checkup episodes on Wednesdays or our feel-good Friday episodes happening on Fridays, which you can also check out on YouTube. And, of course, the podcast is found wherever you find Awesome podcasts like this one, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the CBC Listen app. Anytime now, Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at Loki who's trying to jump up on me. Hey, buddy. Uh, and if you have any fan mail that you would love to send us that maybe we you want us to read on the show, any cool stories you want to hit us up with, you can do that by sending them to letters at sickboypodcast.com. And if you want to be one of our amazing guests on this podcast, you can go to sickboypodcast.com slash contact 
fill out the form, and maybe we will have you as a guest on our show. And we would like to say thank you to the people who make this show happen. That would be Jeremy Saunders, Lauren Sankey, Taylor McGilvery, and myself. Also, a big thank you to Jeff Lonis. Please. Go, Jeff. Please. Also, a huge thank you to Donovan the Meerkat Morgan for the amazing sound design on this show and to Take Part for the theme music and Rich O'Coin for theme music. That is it for this week. I'm Brian. I'm I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Sigma. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.